Ryan, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, I know that you are working from home now because we are all kind of under quarantine because of the coronavirus here in the Bay Area and pretty much everywhere these days. So that's kind of a nice segue into what is it like for you now to work at home, given that you usually work in an office setting? Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, working from home now, it's, um, it's been a big shift. It's been, uh, last week was the first week where I was very seriously working from home, the week before as well a bit. And I told my colleagues, like uh, two weeks ago now, about that oh, we probably won't see each other for a few months. And they laughed. <laughs> Mm. and I did no no one's laughing anymore so um it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like um this crept, crept up on us fast extremely yeah. fast um and I think people who were um expected expecting this to happen like I was expecting this to happen I've been watching the data for for months really ever since mm. mid-January and for those of us who were expecting it to happen this just it went from nothing to so much so much faster than I ever thought would happen mm-hmm. and 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 in, in hindsight I guess it's it's not impossible like in hindsight like oh well you know maybe could have predicted that but I think you know the growth of the virus inside the U.S. has been a lot stronger than people expected in part because you know I think we just expected you know the federal and civil institutions to do more to protect yes. us. That's for sure. You know, Ryan, you're, you're over-modulating just a little bit. Maybe you can turn your input down or make it farther away. Cool. There we go. So that's better. better. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. So um, it's, it's working from home has been interesting because it's been beneficial because I find in an open office that um, it can be very distracting in an open office mm-hmm. and my colleagues are just chatting and it can be difficult. Even with headphones, it does headphones won't solve it. Hmm. It's like there's visual distractions too. Right. Yes. And then if you know that it's there and happening, um, headphones don't make it not happen. It's still there. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you, you want to get involved. You're like, oh, there's a, a cool conversation or they're talking about something I might know something about. I just want to help or participate. Right. So okay. even using tools like headphones, it's not really enough for you to really block your attention and keep it focused on the one thing in front of you. Yeah, that's right. You really have to expend some effort to do so. Right. Um, Cause you know, you know what's going on behind you, even if you can't see it. Yeah. That's right. And, and headphone blocking isn't a perfect solution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't block all the noise. And then also, you know, like to drown out sound, like that's not good for your hearing. Mm. It just really isn't. You can't turn your headphones up indefinitely and listen to really loud music. Yes. And studies have shown that depending on the types of tasks you're doing, different types of audio input either improve or uh, make that task worse. So Mm. certain types of creative thinking, I I forget if they're impeded. And then it's also like musical choice has like a aspect to it. Yes. I've heard that too. I've read that, that certain kinds of classical music are actually the best to focus to. Right. So what I will do often at work is I can leave my desk and I have a laptop and we have like cafes inside our, our office space. We have a big building. And one of the nice things about working for somewhere as large as Google is that, and being kind of neurodivergent, you know, other than the fact that lots of other people are, is the office culture is not so personal that um, your 
inability to adhere to personal like interaction bits will be considered a slight and people will get mad at you and punish you. Mm. You didn't say good morning, you know, to the security guard. They don't care. You didn't, the receptionist, your colleagues, whatever they, you know, it's not, you're walking around wearing headphones and people are like, wow, that guy's just so weird wearing headphones all the time. (laughs) You know, so many people do it. And a lot of the people you see, you just don't really know who they are and they don't have a bearing on like your work. Right. So if you go to a cafeteria, people are not likely to pester you by saying hello because right do that there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, in my building, we have like a little seating space by a, a tea bar, very, very opulent, but yeah, I don't drink coffee and uh, actually I had to end up quitting tea as well, but you know, I'll still go there and sit and drink like herbal tea, non-caffeinated tea. And, um, you know, like sometimes having a, a mild distraction you can't get into, like, you know, they're talking about something that you're not interested in helps. It's like when people go to coffee shops, it's like that. It's exactly like that. Yeah. The only difference is that when I go to the bathroom, no one steals my stuff, which is really great. <laughs> no one, no one, like, go ahead, steal the laptop that belongs to the company, like, you know, and That's you work pretty funny. Too. Yeah. So, so, the, so what you're saying is if you're at the cafeteria or the tea bar, you're not around your immediate coworkers. So whatever they're talking about, you probably don't even know what it is. So it's less distracting. You can filter that out better. That's right. And then sometimes I do get involved and talk to other people, which is how I've made like friends and interests like in a broad parts of the company. And I've made friends that actually have sticked since they've left the company, you know, Mm. friends who when they worked there were illustrators and one would just, she would work in the cafe because she didn't feel comfortable working at her desk for, Mm. for reasons. And, um, you know, so we would work together and stuff. Um, we'll work next to each other kind of co-working um but we're not working on anything related and she's doing drawing and i'm doing what i do Mm -hmm. programming type stuff and i still keep up with them actually even i was just texting last night Um, so they're both they're both illustrators and one's like a tattoo artist and they're just you know struggling of course just like many many people are right now right so when you're working at home does that mean it's easier for you to focus since there are not those distractions so it's easier and harder actually um oftentimes it's easier because there aren't those distractions and I can focus, but sometimes you need to have like a, um, a diversity break, right? You know, go for a walk, check things out. Last week I was on call, which required me to be very responsive. And I ended up sitting at my desk for so like for four hours straight. Mm. I just don't do that at work because, you know, joining meetings is clicking buttons now. Back then it's, you've got to get up and walk somewhere. And just that, that act of walking like does make a difference. Yes, yes. But that's true for almost anybody. Everybody has a, a kind of a ballpark amount of time that varies from individual of how long they can focus at a time. And if you go past that, you're just spinning your wheels. But if you do something completely different, like walk or look, even looking out the window, petting your cat, it will help you go back and refocus on the thing you were working on. Yeah, one of the problems with here is that my office space, which is like an office lab center, you know, I don't actually really roll with the whole man cave thing. I don't like the, it, it implies a, a certain kind of cultural terminology, like cultural context I don't have here. Um, mm. So like this, this is like, you know, closest to a lab, paperwork like crazy, um, mm. electronic equipment, stuff like, well, actually I keep the electronic equipment in the garage, but there's like lots of parts because I was doing, you know, research on building um, power systems for LED projects like mm. last fall so some of that detritus is still here and then just in general like you know I'm just I have a hard time organizing unless I'm at like at the top of my game 
Hmm. And I usually reserve that for work or, or do that at work. Yeah. So luckily, you know, I have, you know, ever since, you know, getting, you know, both uh, diagnosed and prescribed for ADHD, those reserves of focus and, and it's not even just focus, but like ability to like think has, has vastly improved. I'm like definitely like at a, you know, I assume what a, a normal, normal person would be like now. Um, oh, cool. So what does it know. mean to you to be at the top of your game? Well, like, for example, when I'm feeling very tired or, or previously when I was very tired or just like kind of run out, like just when I look at a pile of stuff, I don't see an organizational me- me- method. Mm. I'm just like, okay, I can kind of see it, but like turning that into action right. and, and visualizing what's going to happen, which is typically how I, how I do stuff. I, you know, kind of visualize or think about what to do and then I start doing it, mm-hmm. which is impossible. It's not, I just couldn't do it. It's like, okay, I could put that effort into like organizing back paperwork mm-hmm. I can find stuff because stuff's not unorganized it's just like okay this pile is roughly about that date that pile is about roughly that date and mm-hmm. then certain critical stuff and this kind of gets into like you know my organizational methods but certain critical stuff is over here like you know I don't I've lost so many things over the time that you know when I I you know put things away I have to make sure that I put them away in a way that I can find them again right <sighs> Can, do you, really can you characterize what method that is for you? When I lived in an apartment, it was a lot easier because it was a lot smaller. Now that I live in a house, it's a lot harder. And my, um, oftentimes I could rely on memory. Like, oh, I remember where I put mm-hmm. that. So that helps. That went a long way. Um, eventually, you have to start classifying and categorizing things. Like, okay, right. I can't put like papers or office work stuff with like tools that's not going to work. I can't mm-hmm. stash paperwork in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, or if I do, I have to have like the corner of the, of the counter that is only for like stuff I got in the mail or paperwork that I need to whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't just put stuff wherever to store it and think I'll find it again. Yes. And that's not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. don't, you know, have, have like kind of separation sections. So it's like, you know, I, I don't put anything but clothes in my, in my uh, cl- closet in the, in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, and most, and I don't know what people typically do. Um, I mean, if you have space, if you don't have space, you just got to do what you got to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I did have to do that in the past, it'd be like, okay, I definitely need to have like a box for that here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the other thing is like things that I know they're going to be critically important. I'll like let pile up. Um, so for example, um, tax bills are like not going to get filed away into, I have like piles of like to be filed. And then I have piles of probably going to need attention in the next six months. Right. So kind of an action, action area. Right. So back, back when I tried to do getting things done, um, yes, the David Allen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really do a lot with it anymore, but one of the few artifacts I have left of it is the, uh, Ah, which is what he Exact same one I have. Yep. <laughs> and um, I just finally ran out of tape for it, right? When I'm like, I need to organize stuff to be more workable here. Mm-hmm. But um, file folders is another thing I took from him. So um, my problem here is that, you know, in the last three years of, of both moving and then having a kid, like I've not had the, the focus to like um, organize and file stuff. Yeah. Back, when I, back before I moved, I would kind of like pile stuff up on my desk and then eventually I would file and then I'd be like oh wow I haven't actually gone through this pile like a year 
It's like uh-huh. the bottom stuff is a year old. It's like <laughs> a utility bills from a year, a year ago. And I'm, I also don't throw stuff away because um, I didn't trust my ability to like know what I'm not going to need. Right. It's mm. like, I might need stuff. I, unless I know I definitely won't need it. Now that I'm older and I've, have done stuff I find it's a little bit easier to be like yeah I haven't I'm not really not gonna need this I'm you know whatever I think a lot of this comes from my mom who like kept a lot of stuff not hoarder level stuff but she was very organized Mm -hmm. and she would like keep receipts and stuff and um so I kind of adopted some of that from her but eventually you know I've decided to like like I've sort of streamlined that a little bit but I still have like gas station receipts from like the early 2000s by the way gas was not as cheap in 2001 as you thought it was it's still about a dollar 20 in Seattle area <laughs> interesting um you're talking mainly about paper right now paper right? absolutely um yes but I'm wondering how how much do you suffer from not having that paper organized like the stuff you found that was a year old was that really a problem for you because I find people want to spend a lot of time organizing all the paper but in reality, a lot of that stuff really just is not important. It's um, recently did cause some issues because um, my wife has a one password account. And we can't find the backward backup password copy that's written down mm. that we think of somewhere. I spend a lot of time looking for it. Mm. Um, I do keep certain things organized. Like I, if I had three minutes to find my son's like birth certificate and other type of stuff I can find I know where exactly it is Mm -hmm. so like I've learned these hard lessons because you know early on when I was you know I had some kind of early lessons that were really difficult in college um you know I started to like miss things and like Mm -hmm. um assignment dates and that's when I took the paper um like every year they give out a, a paper organizer that's like half organizer and half advertisements. <laughs> and, you know, so I would rip out all the advertisements and I'd have, you know, a, a bi-week kind of thing where I can be like, okay, this is due, that is due. So that helped get me a little bit organized. Um, I have a really good memory, mm-hmm. um, which helps that basically if I didn't have good memory, all my systems would be not even remotely enough. Mm. Um, but since I have a fairly good memory, you know, but that fell down when you were just juggling five classes of stuff. Yes. And yes. so that was the first, you know, kind of failure of lack of organization. Mm-hmm. Then when I um, graduated and I started working, I went through a stressful period of work and I just kind of let bills pile up and I didn't pay them for too long and things became overdue and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's when um, I kind of started doing some of the David Allen stuff not long after. And I did a kind of like a, um, like, you know, you got to do things now kind of thing. Um, mm. Now that I'm a bit older, the bills and stuff that come in on a regular basis are, you know, there's like a pattern to them and I've kind of learned that pattern. So it's like, you know, every month by mid-month, I need to start paying some bills and there's like three or four of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nowadays it's so much easier than it used to be because, you know, if you don't know what your PGE, if you lost your PG&E bill, and I have, um, you can look it up online and see how much you owe. Right. You know, yeah. that was, you know, back in the day, that was like, you're like, that was impossible. I know you'd have to call them and hope that you could get through to somebody, right? Ooh, and like calling <laughs> someone, like no thanks. Um, <laughs> not your comfort level. Not really. I whack when I was, um, you know, I would have my wife call for me to do certain things um, that I just had a huge anxiety around, like calling mm. for a dentist, calling for a doctor's appointment, stuff I just mm-hmm. couldn't seem to do, um, mm-hmm. and then. She doesn't always love calling on the phone now. So now we kind of have a little back and forth. Like, okay, I don't want to call you. I want to call you. We're going to, who's, 
<laughs> who's going to lose and have to make the phone call? Uh-huh. Um, luckily, so much less requires calling people nowadays. And yeah, just book online, right? Yeah, exactly. Or you can find information without referring, calling, talking to someone. And this has really saved me because it's like, like online billing, online banking really helps a lot because it's like, we will get electronic bills and we'll remind you when you need to pay them. Yes. It's I love like, that. and we'll even tell you how much to pay. And, you know, you just, mm-hmm. if you're willing to just pay it, you can go forth. Yeah. I'm still, right. So that helps. That, those sort of modern things actually help a ton. Um, Google. Yes. Google notices. Um, I don't know what to call it, but if you have like the app installed or, or assistant or whatever on your phone, it'll be like, like, for example, my mom will send, this is the, <laughs> I've definitely, definitely um, not picked people up from the airport. Um, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. But now everyone who I have to pick from the airport, which is mostly my mom or um, my mother-in-law, they have to forward me their itinerary. Then Google will suck that up and create a calendar invite. And then they will tell you that your flight was delayed. Wow. Um, or they will tell you, hey, you got to go to the airport now. Uh-huh. And it's so reliable. I just rely on that. Like, That's I don't, impressive. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's really good. People kind of, you know, oh, they did it. they're just taking a look at your email, what you're getting ambiently and being like, let's do something helpful for you. And I'm like, yes, this is very helpful for me. Yeah. You know, that, that helped. And I live only 15 minutes from the airport. So like, mm-hmm. you know, a last minute notification for when the flight's going to land actually totally works. <laughs> yes. That's <really laughs> like, good. So you can just get, you know, uh, if I leave home when their flight touches down and they can start using their cell phones, like that's the yeah. perfect time to pick them up. Yeah. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the divergent thinking thing yes. that you mentioned. So when you look at paper or your office, how do you feel that the divergent thinking affects that? Because what I, my impression of that is that you almost immediately have maybe 17 ideas about what you could do with this piece of paper and you have to struggle to focus in and choose one thing to do or some people just don't even do that they get overwhelmed and do nothing because there are too many options definitely with this whole paper thing like for a long time was overwhelming it's just like okay i can't i think i know what to do but like sitting through and doing it Mm -hmm. that's gonna be tough i'm not like i just can't i can't do that so you know and then then moving past that it's like okay what do i even do i don't know um lately it's gotten a bit better with the meds so now i have some ideas and stuff Hmm. Um, but one of the ways is that, you know, this is not just a, like a pile of paper. Yeah. I'm like, you know, what do, this is like, this is like a uh, clip for a tarp. So like if your tarp grommet gets ripped out, you can like uh-huh. repair it and still like, this is like Burning Man related stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I just, it's like part of the thing is that the organization means that like, you know, stuff I can't figure out where to organize or what to do with just kind of piles up there. And then uh-huh. the areas that should be organized, like my closet, are are pretty fairly unorganized. And my workspace where I like build stuff in the garage is like also fairly unorganized because it's hard to think of organizational methods. Like, how do I do stuff with this? Mm-hmm. It's gone a bit easier lately because I've been doing a lot of like, okay, maybe I can build stuff to like organize stuff. And then mm. thinking about organization has gotten easier. Part of the thing is like, to organize, you have to put things in categories that you will think about later. Yes. It's really just that simple. Right. Or that complicated, really. You did say that there's just clothes in your closet, though, but it's, you still think it's not organized? And the clothes are just kind of like not very well organized. Aha. Uh-huh. But at least they're all clothes. Yes. The, you know, there's a couple other mild things in there, like um, old glasses in this area. But 
in general, things that aren't clothes as fairly. And then the clothes aren't unorganized as per se, like things are hang, some things are hanging up. Right. Things I don't wear very often are kind of crumpled on the ground. <laughs> things that are gonna wear sooner, well, like still wear are like um, kind of folded or, or put on the shelf. More accessible. And I have like more accessible and I have like a box for socks and, and stuff like that. So it's not, yeah, like it's not totally, totally insane. It's right. also just like, when I see pictures of people's houses that are just neat and tidy, I'm just like, you know, even before we had a kid, I'm like, how do you do that? Like, <laughs> you know, I have so much stuff and yeah. it's not like I bought all this stuff frivolously and it's part of it is just like, I mean, one of our challenges is, and, and now with the kid a bit, but we sort of partially solved it. We just have so many books. Mm. And um, I read this this thing, it's the, the Japanese, it was this cool stories about like the, the Japanese art about like buying books to like read them, but then you don't read them. Um, like you're not buying to build a collection, you're buying to, you know, essentially read them, but then you just have too many books. I have, that is me to a T, I have all these books I want to read. Uh-huh. And then for attention and other reasons, I just never got to reading them, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get rid of them. Right. Like getting rid of books feels very hard to me. Throwing them out is like impossible. Oh yeah. Nobody can do that. No. Like recycling or trashing books. Like right. are you, you mean murdering someone? No, I would never do that. Like, <laughs> I know. No way. Yes. Yeah. But in terms <laughs> so, of categorizing, it's interesting because sometimes people be, they feel like they have to over categorize. Like they have to have, 500 categories and fit each thing into one of those. And really my mantra has always been the fewer, the better. You only need to organize things to make it easier for you to find things and live on a day-to-day basis. But if you make it too organized and there is such a thing, if it's too organized, you can't keep up with maintaining it. So everybody has to find that little set point where it's organized enough. I can maintain this. I've got the flu. The kid is also sick, but it's kind of working and that's good enough. Yeah. You know, I actually have, took me many years to get to a similar position and to, to that understanding that like, mm-hmm. you know, over organization doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The cabinet where all the medicines are, that can be good enough. Yes. You know, um, the medicines are, are still in the luggage you haven't unpacked. That's not good. No. Um, but, you know, we have to have a little, a spot for everything to be, mm, may not, they're diminishing returns. Yes, exactly. And um, I think we're, we're I'm, I'm better than I used to be here. Um, when it came to email back in the day, um, back before Gmail came on the scene, I'm, I can really say that, but I actually struggled with like, how do I categorize my email? And I was fell into this perfectly where it's like, I need to have 500 slots for everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, this falls into more than one slot. Now what? And yeah. it was hard. Right. And I never solved it. Eventually search got better. And you can yes. search email so quickly. And then now it's just my strategy now with email is like, you know, exactly what you described, have a few broad categories, mm-hmm. right? Uh, everything you did work on this team, uh, automatic emails from automatic systems, because that's kind of the world I work in. Yeah. Um, and then labels for that. And then search within those. Yes. You know, rely on your memory. Oh, that person, that time of the date sent me stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. And then... Um, sometimes letting go, like I just can't find it and it's going to have to be okay. Yes. Yes. You don't Um, have to control everything. And then, you know, in real, in terms of real world stuff, you know, this can cause over purchasing of things like, oh, well, I can't find this, but I need it. So I'm going to get another one. 
That's classic. Like, well, now, now I have too many glue sticks. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, but those kind of things can be triggered for uh, triggers for you to realize, okay, I do need a slightly finer level of organization in my office supplies because I'm ending up buying those again and again. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of slowly get there. Um, time, of course, is like a thing, but I'm spending a lot more time at home. So our house has been getting a little bit more organized. Yeah. And organizing um, when you need to be organized. I, I worked years ago with a guy who was very embarrassed to open this desk drawer. He worked at home. He was a photographer. He opened this drawer and it's jammed with receipts. They're all just kind of in there willy nilly. And I said, what is that? And he said, well, these are the receipts that I used to do my tax returns. And I said, oh, are they all in there? And he said, yes. Is anything else in there? No, we're fine. Close that drawer. You know, once it, when it comes time for him to do his taxes, he just empties the drawer on the floor and goes through them and he does his taxes. I mean, there's, there was no point in him kind of trying to categorize them up front because they were all there. So it doesn't yeah. have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to suit anyone else, but your organizing the system needs to work for you. Yeah, I think um, my wife had said recently, like, oh, how about, or someone else was like, oh, well, why don't you have someone help you or do your organization of your, your whatever, like your office or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you mean what, then I can never find stuff again? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think, you know, you, that's, you know, you do that work, so that's not how you do things then, right? It is not. No, it's a process of inquiry, asking, you know, what are these things? Oh, how come you have that clip on your desk? Maybe that goes somewhere else. It's, I really ask more questions so that the client, him or herself, says, oh, yes, we use this for this. Oh, yes, this is here because this. And then you lead them through it so that they yes. form their own memories of where stuff has gone as well. That's and use their own personal logic to figure out where they should put something. Yes, that's important because I'm, yeah. The other day I was looking for um, like a blood oxygen and I, I knew I didn't have to look everywhere, a blood oxygen meter. Cause I was like, huh, you know, it's, you know, health, everyone's not worried about health stuff. So, but we had bought one for totally unrelated reasons. And um, I'm just like, where is it? And I was just sort of thinking back where things were. And I actually did eventually find it because I had a box of stuff that was, I actually we should really go through, but when we like, you know, changed the fridge, we took everything off the fridge, the top and the sides and everything out of the baby's, um, what do you call it? Pack and play crib thing, which we've now packed away because he's too big for it. And it's like, you know, that went into a box and that box has, has went a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And so everything in it was temporarily lost. Ah. But then I found it after, you know, just, you know, half a day of haphazardly searching now and again. And luckily, you know, it's like, okay, there it is. Okay, well, yeah. So mm -hmm. it wasn't in oddball places, right? Like, you know, but it was oh, packed this... away with, with other stuff that needed to be packed at a certain time or? Yes, it was time. It was time and space located. But like, yeah. it's when things get really, when you do things that are just like, and I think it was really important to, to do this is not put things in like, places that seem convenient now but then are easy to forget like oh I have a I have a uh, drawer full of candles and I do mm -hmm. and then also we'll put um the blood oxygen meter in there no don't do that <laughs> you know like leave it on your counter until you can find a better place which is what I typically do which means my house is way more disorganized than other people's because things are out waiting to be categorized yeah, I've gotten a lot better in the last year and, you know, sort of like pushed away, like pushed the disorganization to the edges. And now the worst places are like in this room I actually sit in. And then, 
you know, work all day long, which makes it not super hard to do work, but it isn't it's a little like, oh, I really should, I really, you know, yeah, I need more space or something. And then, um, and then just like making sure like you are, are putting like things with like a drawer full of candles. Okay. How about mm -hmm. lighters going there? Mm -hmm. Um, matches yeah maybe flashlights um you know right. that's about it <laughs> yes you know? mm -hmm. so and when you look at something like that clip that you showed me before what what kind of goes through your mind why is it does it not seem easy to figure out a place to put it um yeah where would i put it i just don't i don't really I guess I have a giant bin of like random Burning Man stuff that I probably should put in. I could like go and find, but it's like, because it's semi storage, it's not like I can just reach over there. And I think that sort of drove that a lot. And then also my yeah. desk was just so, has been so cluttered for so long that it just, it was underneath other stuff. So. Right. Yes. <laughs> there are many mind. reasons. It's true. Yeah. I know many people who have ADHD like to keep things out because they feel they'll be reminded of them again, but that yes. only works when there's one layer of stuff. Yeah. One challenge I have here is I have these Ikea desks. They don't have drawers. So I mm. see calculators over there. I'm going to eventually need them. Mm -hmm. Now what? Yeah. I mean, a calculator box. Now that doesn't make sense. Like, so they just sort of stay out for a bit. So now all of a sudden my organization problem has become one of not where the calculator goes it's where does the calculator go where does that little weird tarp clip goes where does you know these rechargeable you know and then all the so all of a sudden it's now become you know not a monster like you know a 25 headed monster so you're right. like i can't deal with this now in in part if you only have five minutes you actually you, you can't deal with it right now it's going to take more than five minutes to undo mm. and iterative chopping off at it will still take like half an hour might mm -hmm. i kept a bunch of amazon boxes because i'm just like i'm gonna have to organize stuff boxes are as a way hmm. and then labels um mm -hmm. david allen did say something about you know a printed label is really important for organizing and i totally believe yeah. it it's like yes you know it, he's like i've done handwritten notes i've done the printed labels and want the printed ones you know, you're gonna have to take me for by my word for this it sounds crazy but it really is important and i it totally agree with them yeah, like instead of handwriting a little like this goes here, like on a file tab, he's like, you know, print it out. So oh, I don't remember that he said that. That's interesting. Yeah, it was a big component of it. Um, mm. And like of my partially filed stuff, um, the um, they all have little printed labels on them. Here's something I, this is the last thing I was able to print. It says memory cards and, uh -huh. you know, cable adapters. Yes. Um, so that was the last before I ran out of the tape. I'm getting more on Friday, so it's cool. Um, oh, good. Luckily, Amazon is still working. Um, but what he said is like, when it comes to filing stuff away, just use Manila, Manila folders in like a banker box, which is what I did for a long time. Yeah. And he's like, just put stuff alphabetically and just name stuff that kind of makes sense that you'll remember later. Mm -hmm. Just that simple. Like, don't overthink it. Taxes, yeah. 2018. Yes, that's plenty. Yeah. IRS, social security cards. Yep. you know, power bills, mm -hmm. you know, and it's enough. It's just that when you have enough to do, it's like, okay, I don't have time to do it right now. 
Right. So that kind of gets into the topic of prioritizing, which I also wanted to talk about, prioritizing and time management. So everybody has too much to do. That's just the fact of life. And it probably has been for a very long time. We think it's that's a new thing, but it's really not. Yeah. So you're always, and when you work at home, that gets exacerbated. But, you know, minute by minute, you are deciding to spend your time in a certain way. And how do you know that that's the best way? And this is not a trick question. I'm wondering how you think of this. Um, I'm, I'm bad at this. Mm. I've been extremely bad at this and it's caused like relationship issue level stuff. Mm. Luckily for the current relationship, you know, it's caused issues that were surmounted and, you know, not, then we made a kid together. So, you know, <laughs> you know, we found a way to work with and work around it. Mm-hmm. In my case, one of the things I have is, is hyper-focus, mm-hmm. which sounds cool. Right, you're talking about people can focus on stuff until a diminishing returns. How, what's the what's the what's the average time for like a a, a quote so-called normal normal person hour two? Oh, I don't even think it's that long, really. Yeah. So how about like, like twenty minutes? Yeah. How about working on a single thing obsessively for seven hours straight? That's that's pretty hyper. Yeah. Yeah, I, that happens. That can happen a lot. But here's the thing: is that it sounds good, but you then get in a place where it's like you know, I taught myself how to build and design printed circuit boards. I'm not, that's not my field, not even close. And it's like, I did that by staying up to three, 4 a.m. multiple nights and then going to work the next day. Mm. Um, luckily, nothing really fell apart. I was able to sort of manage it mostly. But like, um, when you're doing that hyper-focus, like not even sleep or food or interruptions can really, you know, like Derail jostle me. you. Yeah. And then the problem is, um, the, the other problem is, um, what do you call it? Interruptions can be like almost painful. Um, hmm. Not pain, pain, but very discomfortable. Like can make you mad and angry and pissed. Hmm. Many, many times in these text messages, are, I guess, luckily lost to the wind could be, you know, with, <laughs> with Julie, my girlfriend at the time, it was like, oh, when are you coming home? I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm finished something up. This is like five, 5.30. Um, okay, well, are you going to leave soon? Yeah, I'm going to leave in 10 minutes. And then I get home at like 7.38. Hmm. you know because I was so focused on something and I was like I can leave any moment now I really could yeah and then I didn't mm-hmm. and then she's mad um I was recently looking for um watch for like through my stuff and I'm like oh this is the watch I got because I thought that the problem with me not coming home on time was that I didn't know what time it was that's not the problem. <laughs> and so it's actually caused me to be in a place where it's like, I don't want to get into that, that flow hyper-focused state all the time at work, especially later in the day. And that can actually make be a little negative on the work. Cause it's like, those times are productive. Like if you, like one of those hyper-focused sessions on something work related will bust through like a week or two of work in like a day. You can like huh. achieve a level of productivity and focus and stuff that like your coworkers are just like, Again, be actually can, it could cause a problem because people are like, well, luckily around here for the most part, people are kind of expanded oriented when it comes to work. They're not like you did too much work and now I'm mad at you. Um, but you know, it could cause that kind of problem. It's like, oh, I did our entire week's worth of stuff tonight. Yeah, <laughs> you won't love that. Um, are you able to then initiate these hyper focus sessions voluntarily? You don't just get sucked into them involuntarily. Um. I can manage it to some extent. Um, not getting in, like you can avoid getting into it. Getting into it can be a little tricky sometimes, especially if you're very distractible and like, oh, shiny, other shiny thing. 
Mm. And then the other thing is that you just can't hyper-focus on whatever you want to all the time. You have to have some kind of like interest in it yes. um, or maybe sometimes like certain types of pressure. Mm -hmm. right? So like, mm. you know, can't do taxes until I do it all in one day on the last day. Mm. Um, and you know, in terms of like deadlines, external deadlines can help. This is not always a fun way to do things because it's always better to do stuff early so you have more time. Right. And it's, you know, it, on one hand, it's like not the best. On the other hand, it's sort of like given me my entire career because it's like the top things for learning is focus and attention. Yeah. Right. If you're not focused and attention, you're not going to learn really. And then yeah. So you mentioned stuff. some workarounds that you use with your wife. Can you talk about those? Um, so right now it's a lot easier with a kid because I really have to be home by a certain time. Um, you know, other things I do at work or around work are uh, triggering activities together. So like, for example, we have a daily meeting at like 1120 and then we go out for lunch right after or go mm -hmm. to lunch right after. So I eat on time every day because we, as a team, have built this thing. Mm. Um, at home, it's a little hard. My, my, eating on time right now is a little not the easiest um luckily you know she wants to eat on time so that helps me she's like do you want something to eat i'm like yes please i'll come and, yes. come and do that and then like making sure that you schedule this is kind of like what good what you know good ritual and routine is for us to schedule either breaks or schedule ways to like you do this thing then you do the other thing like i like to take part with my coworkers, so i go home on time mm -hmm. um and then was, the other thing is like making sure that you do your hyper-focused stuff at like get into those things at, at times that are going to be okay. Right. That's what I meant about, can you schedule them? Right. Yeah, I can more or less schedule them. Um, one of the things that's helped is that, you know, um, like, you know, sh should you come to bed at two, at 2 AM? Yes. I'm sure you come to bed at 11 PM probably, but like, you know, in your own relate, in your own personal space and stuff, you know, taking off some of those constraints and, and finding a way to like, you know, get through that. Cause those hyper-focused times, although they can be kind of inconvenient, like they really expand and are very rewarding. So I don't want to like get rid of them. Right. And, um, and they also contribute to, you know, my plethora of, um, you know, interests and hobbies, you know, it's like, right. Yeah. Like for example, I, um, from a, technical level I'm like an excellent technical photographer mm. like lighting stuff you know just figuring out all the I all the those numbers and stuff that people want to know but I eventually got to the point where I realized I'm just not really good at composition and I and I have a hard mm. time taking pictures of people and all my pictures are of landscapes which are like you know you can run out of landscapes you really can um, <laughs> so I just stopped taking photos because I'm just like this is not really you know I'm not you know not making great stuff anymore so mm. if, if I ever really did and people really want to see pictures of people. So I'm not, I'm, I'm done here. So mm. I can take great photos and I even have some stuff to, to do it, but I just don't do it anymore. Yeah. So I'm kind of like cycle through like hobbies and interests and they're, they're, it's, it's funny because they're, they're, I think like a hobby is something you do to be, keep from being bored. Is that the right way to describe that? <laughs> Hobby does have a bad connotation, I think. It makes it sound frivolous to me. Right. I mean, like, you know, I was like, I really want to um, build this this power circuit board for LED lighting art thing, mm -hmm. um, the one that you've seen. And it's like, I, you know, so I'm like, 
is that a hobby? I'm trying to build something. And then this term, although now it's everything's on hold because of coronavirus, I'm like, you know what? You know, last fall I was like, you know what? I taught myself this stuff in a couple of weeks. I bet I could teach it to high schoolers. Uh huh. And then so I did. Um, so cool. I've been teaching, you know, high schoolers at the Code Next program in Oakland how to, you know, how to build circuit boards and do the soldering of these tiny little surface components. Nice. And so it's like. So a hobby, interest, contribution to the world, where do these things overlap? You know, well, this- I personally don't think there's anything wrong with spending your time doing things that just plain make you happy for whatever reason they make you happy. I don't think they have to contribute to the world. Yeah, lately my, my kind of little mini hobby has been like weeding the garden and planting new mm-hmm. plants and just like I can't go, you know, to the park or go to, you know, hang out with people. So I guess I'll just like you know, improve the home front a bit. And, and it's enjoyable. Yeah. It is. And it's also like a nice focus break. It's like, I can not read about, you know, the horrible goings-ons of the world. Like yeah. Some, somehow even worse than it's ever been. And, you know, I can just, you know, do this. And, and it's know, a break from work as well. It's a break from work. It's a break. It's also like physical activity and motion, which is really nice. Yes, if your if your job is not physical, it's really important to do physical stuff. I totally agree. Right. Yeah, and, and I like if, what you were saying earlier about how your time seems to often get structured by external things that some of which it seems like you have put into place yourself. Yes, You're relying absolutely. on the sex, but you put it into place. I, I, that's really great. That's really some people trying to sometimes they think they have to invent all of it themselves and keep it together themselves. But there's lots of things that you can just hook on to, like oh, you're going home on Bart. I'm going to join you every day. Yep. Why not? The the push to get our, our our status meetings done right before lunch, you know, was pretty easy to do. Everyone else was into it, but now it's an external, it's a thing I pushed for, but also everyone, you know, it came together in a way that I didn't have to fully maintain. Yeah. I still don't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things. Having a kid obviously drives a lot of stuff. That's how come I have dinner at the same time every day, because if we don't, yeah. he goes, he gets... He doesn't say I'm hungry. He gets extremely upset and angry and mm-hmm. he doesn't even know that he's hungry. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. we need to teach you how to know you're hungry and then let's feed you first. Yes. So that's a great external, like time triggering is like this event time triggering is really important because I do, um, you know, I do get lost in time and what's the most important and right thing to do is hard to know. And I've actually had minor failures at work early on, not scheduling, not prioritizing stuff correctly. Mm. And then, you know, one thing I do a lot is um, when I respond to like emergencies at work or incidents or whatever, one thing I can do is, is over-focus on, on a thing that might not be fruitful, mm. right? If you're trying to solve a problem in an urgent fashion, you know, you want to be working on the right thing. So therefore you have to check yourself. Is this the most important thing? What's the context we're doing this in? You know, mm-hmm. what's important for now? You need to, I need to like, you know, and I do like just check myself explicitly. Like, okay, we've been working on this for a little while. You know, am I doing the right thing or not? You know, I, is this fruitful? Is this going to lead to a conclusion? Even if what I was working, I solve a small, like, you know, there's a big outage or a big problem. If I just solve this tiny little slice of an issue that's not enough right mm-hmm. you know i need to solve the whole thing not the small thing so yeah time and so stuff, divergent divergent thinking can be a hindrance in that um the focus, or is it the hyper focus the hyper focus is, is right. what 
there. But like one of the things is like um, that the divergent thinking stuff helps in a lot of ways because a lot of my conclusion of how a lot of people think um, is that people often are very social and look towards social stuff as forms of approval, right? So it's like, am I working on the right thing or not? I'll know it when everyone else thinks I am. Hmm. And that's not true when you're working on technical or, or other things. We even saw a widespread failure in the, in the US government recently on this. That's sort of the definition of the coronavirus thing. It's like, it was the most important thing to work on from like the executive level. Well, it wasn't anything they were working on in the last two months. You know, it's like, you know, what, what should or could have, you know, our executive of the company, country been working on yeah, well, we should have been working on tests, I guess. Um, so when you index what you should be working on based on what other people think you should be working on, you're adopting what their values or priorities are. And if you are working with something that doesn't care about that, yeah, that's a big problem. Now, if you are, if you're, if you're in a, a PR field or an area that's highly social, it does, it does make it, you know. Mm-hmm. But once you start working in computers or technology or science or whatever, you know, like viral spread doesn't matter what people think about it. <laughs> it's, yes. it it's like yeah. this process that just that, that just happens whether you want it to or not. And same thing with technology. Yeah. It's like, you know, if everyone thinks, you know, this should be working, but it's still not, it doesn't really matter that experts think it should be working because it's not. Yeah. Right? So that's an area where it actually really exceeds. I, I definitely can solve problems at work that other people struggle with because it's like, hmm. well, this should work. And I'm like, well, the evidence suggests that it isn't working. So therefore, even in, no matter how much you think it works and you look at it, that it should work. <laughs> you know, we need to dig deeper and find out why it isn't. Right. So when you start digging, does that where the divergence comes in? You get you look at all these possibilities of things that could be going wrong and then yeah. converging after that? Two areas where, um, well, so one thing that um, that helps me is that I have like this internal, like not drive. It's like, 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 why do people want to know the truth of things? Um, do you want to know it so you can, you know, tell someone else you are right, or like who knows, right? There's all sorts of reasons. You know, I want to just know things because I do, mm. right? Like, how do things work? I'm interested in that. Why? Yeah. Uh, I just am. There's no reason for it. Mm-hmm. So just re- repeating that process means that you've built up this knowledge base of stuff, right? Like from a certain level, do we really need, does an average person need to know how like the coronavirus works, like how it actually works? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when we're saying, okay, uh, you know, what should I do if I go to the grocery store? You know, like once you understand, now you need to know how stuff works. And you see this in my field, my work as well, where it's like, People are like, how did you know that? I'm like, well, I just kind of learned that a while back and it was just dormant information, but now it's come into usefulness. Mm. And just having that drive to understand how things work means that when you have to rapidly figure stuff out, you already have a built-in knowledge base. Mm. And then systemizing and kind of figuring it out. Like, I'm not trying to learn patterns. I'm trying to figure out how it works. And just having, and then the other thing is like with the focus and the hyper-focus and the the distractibility, you can get both an attention to detail as well as like hop around. So it's like, if you can hop around your focused attention to detail, this can actually be very beneficial because it's like, you know, any number of avenues, because, you know, these technical problems are usually never 
never obvious, right? right? If they were obvious, they wouldn't have happened. That's the definition of it. Like every, yes, yes. you can see this in like, uh, there's great documentaries about like modern disasters and they're always a chain of three or four things that went wrong that if any one of them had gone slightly differently, people wouldn't have died. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. there's always multiple tiny little, you gotta dive deep on each little thing, but it's usually, you can't just do one thing. You gotta do a couple different ones. Right. And the other way of thinking would be to, if you're my, maybe more of a convergent thinker, you would have some assumptions already. Okay, it's usually this. We're going to look here. I think it's probably this, and we're going to just work on this part because that is the logical thing to do, and it makes sense, and it's happened before, whereas somebody like you might be saying, oh, I'm going to actually look way over there because nobody's looked there, and then I'm going to look here, 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 and I'm going to find it. Well, people often rely on abstractions, yeah. right? Like, oh, yes, this, this is how this should work. It always works this way. Yeah. Until, of course, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, like, relying on abs abstractions, assuming things, or having to work top-down. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes, you have to work top-down when you don't have a command of the field with a lot of in-depth knowledge. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and a lot of times, I can solve or look for problems because it's like, well, you know, something's happening up here, but I know it needs to really, you know, through the layers of computer stuff or whatever, it you know, if we're not doing this down here, it's not going to work. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, um, that's how, you know, anyone who solves technical problems is like, my car doesn't start. It's like, well, if the, the spark plugs don't work, it's not going to work, right? It's like, we don't uh -huh. need to top down it. You know, you've already built up that model mm -hmm. or a partial model, right? Because a lot of computer systems, even as they're different, they're also the same. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, my, my computer CPU and yours are, are very, are very similar. You know, they're, they're almost identical. They're, probably made by the same company, you know, Intel, right? So it's like tracking these similarities, being concrete about things, not relying on abstractions, having a pre-built depth knowledge base with focused depth, um, you know, and then like, you know, maybe not trusting other people or trusting what people say, hmm. you know, yeah. like, I mean, it sounds bad, but it's like people will say, and I've, I've done customer support type stuff for technical stuff and people say, oh, X, you know, I believe X is something. I'm like, we got to double check that, you know, because let me tell you this much, if it's not true and it's like, I can't access the system. Well, did you add them to the access list? Right. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, of course I did. And it's like, you know, 10% of the time they didn't. Mm. Um, and it takes seconds to check. Yeah. You're going to save yourself a ton of time aggregately yeah. and individually. Yeah. And it's not even a matter, like it's, it's, it's a matter of like, you know, people, people just, everyone makes mistakes. And it's like, you know, you've come to me to double check all your work. So let's double check all your work and check the easiest things first mm -hmm. and then move on from there. And, and it can seem insulting because people are like, what do you think I'm an idiot? And it's like, you know, individually, no, <laughs> aggregately, <laughs> We're all the numbers are not in your <laughs> favor. And I've done telephone technical support for internet stuff. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember once on a, a call where I was having a hard time with a person and it ultimately it turned out she was not putting the floppy disk in the correct order direction. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you explain to someone the correct order, the correct direction to put that in? Because you just don't normally have to explain it. Yes, exactly. So the really basic stuff. Yeah. That's right. interesting that you say that because I feel like a lot of what I do with my clients involves asking what I do consider to be stupid questions. Like, what is this thing and why do you even have it? I mean, they'll, it, for them, they'll say, well, it's self-evident, right? It's a this and such. But then when I ask more questions, they realize, well, actually my mom gave it to me a long time ago and it just is now part of my life. I don't think I can get rid of it. Okay, now we know. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, 
things that are either self-evident. This is, this is how abstraction happens, right? People have filed mm-hmm. it underneath this layer of, of abstraction. Yeah. Yes. And, it's and like, take, I, they take it for granted. Yeah. Right. And part of my, you know, neuro- neurodivergence is like, you know, I prefer or want to think in concrete ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, when people be like, oh, this is how the computer system works. Um, this system talks to that system. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, I understand things in a concrete way. And if that was really true, that would imply we'd have to copy all this data that would be like overwhelmed by network. So are we going to have a problem here or not? Yeah. Right. You know, so you, we should kind of wrap up here, but if, I feel like you're getting to a point where you're telling me what your, the, the, the really good, important, valuable skills you have that are actually a result of your divergent thinking. Could you be more specific about that to wrap up with? Absolutely. Um, they're... Part of them, so there's there's two there's couple there's two aspects. One is stuff that's just intrinsic. Like I can't teach someone to care about why things work. Like I don't know how to do that. Like no one taught me it. I just did. Now I can show you how things work, and hopefully you find that exciting. And then you're like, yeah, I want to learn more. And then I'm like, that's great. Let's let's learn more. But I can't teach someone like how to care um, about why things work. Stuff that you know. I like that. So that's one aspect is like, there's some kind of intrinsic parts and maybe we can unlock it. I'm not saying that it's not, it's not teachable. It's like, I haven't figured out how to teach it. And then, you know, maybe inspiration will, will work for people. And the other one is just like agglomated, like ways of thinking that, you know, I think other people could adopt is like, think concretely, how do things actually work? What are the implications of this? People um, like, you know, step step by step through stuff. My mom was asking me, should I go out this to this, you know, on this thing? And I'm just like, let's step through the different consequences of that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you know, I came up with a phrase at that point. I'm like, you know, she's like, oh, well, you know, risk. I'm like, well, you know, risk without benefit is just risk. So then you don't do it. Right. <laughs> you know, you have to have a benefit. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's just risk, right? This is, um, so it's, you know, so there's some, there's some like some thinking patterns there doing things like stopping yourself and checking in like, okay, am I working on the right thing? Yes. You know, like I can take a break and think about what I'm doing every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, I very rarely found there's an emergency that if you don't act within seconds, it'll be a huge problem. You can always take 10 seconds to think. Yes. And if you can't take 10 seconds to think the thing that was that the bad thing that would happen is going to happen anyways. <laughs> and yeah. you can't stop it. And this is, I think this is what they teach the EMT people as well, mm. because then the consequences of your, your hurried action might be even worse um, for yourself yeah. or the patient or, or whatever it might be. Right. So always taking just a little bit of extra time to double think, not just super rushing into it. That's sort of like emergency response stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, you know, how do I think about things? If other people, you know, if everyone agrees on something, um, you know, chances are it's probably, it, like, it might be true, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the sky is blue. Like, everyone agrees on that. Um, so that's probably okay. Um, of course, you know, if you're, you know, some kind of colorblind, the definition of blue might change, right? So it's like questioning those assumptions and making sure that you know what they are, and there's tons of them. Um, yes, that's a great you, way to phrase it, questioning those assumptions, yeah. And even and, realizing that they are being made. Yeah, the hard part is learning about what those assumptions might be. Mm-hmm. And the only way is to like look into the details because ultimately in the end when we talk about big things, the details matter. Yeah. Right? Like when we look at our current thing, how big is the coronavirus? Um, 
I don't know. It's tiny. It's extremely small. It is the most detailed thing ever. It is like, you know, you cannot see it without like an electron microscope or something. Yeah. You know, that's a detail. It matters. You know, yeah. details <laughs> often matter. Sometimes many details don't. Mm -hmm. Then you got to determine what's the difference between details that do and don't matter. And that's where expertise, that's where building up expertise is. And yes. you can't just know you have to build that expertise over time. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, staying curious, figuring stuff out. And these things build up into like a knowledge base that then becomes quite formidable. Mm -hmm. Where people are like, all of a sudden, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, I know how to, you know, respond to this current emergency, mm -hmm. you know, and not over respond either. And that's something I feel like I'm very proud of is that we did not over respond. We did not buy the 25 carts of toilet paper that apparently everyone is. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, our house is not overflowing with a ridiculous amount of food and stuff. Yeah. And, but we still feel like prepared for this circumstance and, yeah. you know, building that expertise and checking the evidence, right? What's the evidence that this is happening? Like yeah. not proof, like let's see some evidence of that is going to be happening. Stuff that we can all verify. Yeah, that's great. I like the way that you kind of folded it back into our current event situation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. This has been really fun. And I hope that um, anybody who listens to it will realize that if they feel at sea a little bit at work or at home being a divergent thinker, there are definitely benefits to being that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like my success in my career has been both hindered and, and benefited by this a lot. Um, you know, if I didn't hyper-focus on my, on my interest in computers back in the day, would I even have this career? What would I be doing? I don't know. Right. And you've managed to make some workarounds that are really helping you a lot. So that's. Yeah. Amazing. And workarounds don't have to be a hundred percent. No. That's a no. very important thing. And I think that's yeah. something that especially younger people, you know, don't may not realize for a while and we can help them with this is that they just have to work enough and enough can be okay. Yes. Yes. Great. Okay. That's a great note to end on. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks.